And again, it is great to be together. Uh, you know, we want to welcome you if you're visiting. We know over at BGSU, it's family weekend. We know we have some families in town. And uh, we know many of you are kind of newer to H2O, checking things out for uh, the first couple times. And it really is good to have you here with us. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as we have been journeying through this semester, we've been spending time in the book of Luke. And we've decided to kind of just take our time and jump into one of the Gospels, Luke, so that we could experience who Jesus is, so that we could get the opportunity to hear what he is teaching us about, we could see how he lived his life, and we could ask the question, what is Jesus calling me to do? What is Jesus calling my life to look like in response to who he is and what he did as he walked on this earth. And today we're going to continue in that journey. We're going to be spending time in Luke chapter 9. And uh, the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus uh, asked us some very direct questions that every single one of us has to answer. And, and the passage that we're going to look at today reminds me a little bit of a story that happened to me six or seven years ago. Uh, I was at this banquet. If you're from around here, and it's, it's common knowledge, you probably know that Bowling Green, our university here in our town is like competitors with Toledo, that school up north, right? And, and we don't like each other, and especially on the football field and, and different athletic events, you know, there's this intense rivalry. Well, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which we help partner with here on campus and at the high school, uh, they, they normally have this unity breakfast. So it's like the week of the Toledo game, and they get the different uh, coaches together and players together, and they, they kind of paint this picture that even though we're intense rivals on the field. We're unified in the Lord. There's brotherhood and there's sisterhood behind the scenes, and, and it's a fundraiser for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So uh, six or seven years ago, before I'm the chaplain on the team now, but before I was doing that, Rob, my co-pastor at the time, was the chaplain. We went to this banquet. So we show up. It's early in the morning on a Wednesday morning, and of course, because it's a fundraiser, there's lots of different folks from the area. There's business professionals. There's people that are connected to the university, so we get there early, and you're networking, and you're mingling, and, and, and we see this guy who's, you know, you wear your school colors, whether you're Toledo or Bowling Green, we see this guy who's clearly a Bowling Green guy, and, and I don't know who he is, but I start a conversation with him, and uh, at the time, uh, Dave Clawson, who's one of the best coaches in the nation right now, uh, he was the Bowling Green coach at the time, so we start talking and having conversations, and the guy that we're talking to seemed like kind of discouraged about where the team was. We were in a rebuilding phase. We were were really struggling as a team, and, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's been a rough season. I'm not sure how things are going to go, and, and, you know, we're, we're struggling on the field, and I'm thinking, yeah, this guy probably doesn't know that much about the team. Let me kind of educate him. I say, hey, it's, it's okay. I think, you know, the future is bright. We got a great coaching staff, and, and I think things are going to go pretty well, and, and I think we just need to, you know, move the ball outside a little bit and get the defensive line bulked up, and we're going to be fine. Don't you worry about a thing. Everything's going to be okay with, with us BGSU Falcons, and, and I'm starting to like feel like this guy needs some you know encouragement and some advice from me, an armchair quarterback, you know, somebody who's just watching from the, the sidelines, and we're talking a little bit more, and, and I kind of take over the conversation telling him about the Bowling Green football team, and, uh, and then we spend a little bit more time talking, and the event's about to start, and uh, I, I shake his hand and say, nice to meet you, you know, my name's Brian, I'm one of the pastors at H2O, I work with Rob, and I say, oh, who are you, by the way? He says, I'm Dave Clawson, the head coach of the Bowling Green football team. And I'm like, 
oh. And Rob's like, you didn't know who that was, you know? And uh, luckily, I didn't say anything negative about him, of course, but I would have had a much different interaction with him if I would have known who he was, right? I wouldn't have felt the need to be the expert in the conversation. I mean, this guy is one of the best coaches in the nation. I would have listened a lot more rather than talking, and, and it reminded me that knowing who someone is is so important with how we interact with them. Knowing who somebody is and having a picture of who they are and how God has wired them and how God has made them, that directly affects the way that we interact with people because then we can have appropriate interactions with them. And and today in the the passage that we're going to look at, Jesus kind of does something similar to his disciples. And and he asks this question, "Who, who do you think I am? And in fact, that's our big idea today. Uh, Our big idea is this. The most important question we can answer is who is Jesus? The most important question that we can answer in life is who is Jesus? Because when we answer that question correctly, it's not just academic information. It's not just a a, a relationship with somebody that, that, that kind of forms us or here today or gone tomorrow. When we answer the question accurately about who Jesus is, it literally changes the course of our life. It changes the trajectory of our eternity and, and it shakes us to our very core, and it allows us to become the people that God wants us to be. So we have to answer the question of who is Jesus, as he's going to ask it here in this passage today. So open up your Bibles with me, if you would. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be starting in verse 18. And Jesus says some very profound and even hard things in this passage, but I want you to know that he shares the profound and hard things in order to point us to what it looks like to truly have abundant life. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, we'll stop a couple different times throughout this passage. It says this, verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Verse 20, what about you? Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks up. Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day rise to life. I want to stop right there. It leads us to our first point. You can't be right with God and wrong about Jesus. Think about that for a minute. You can't be right with God and wrong about Jesus. In order to have a relationship with God, a, to walk in, in wisdom and in truth with God, we not just have to have a picture of this general mystery about who God is, but Jesus is the embodiment of the God of the universe. Do you notice in this passage and in this text how Jesus starts off with kind of the philosophical? As he's spending time with his disciples, he says, who are the crowds say that I am? You know, he's asking, who are the, who, who, what do the other people out there say about me? And I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations where someone walks up to you and they're like, hey, we were just talking about you the other day. You know, what's your first response? Oh, I hope it was good. No, I wonder what you're saying about me. Jesus isn't asking that question because he's insecure, because he needs the affirmation of the disciples, like we may be tempted to do. 
Jesus is asking the question because he is starting to get to the heart level issue that every single one of us has to come face to face with, the most important question in life. So he starts philosophical. Who do the crowd say that I am? And then he works his way down and he gets much more pointed and much more personal. He moved from the philosophical to the, purpose, to the personal and he says, okay, that's who the crowd say I am. Some think that I'm a prophet, some think that I'm a teacher. Peter basically says, the crowds aren't really sure who you are yet, Jesus. You're doing lots of crazy things and teaching lots of things and people are confused. And then Jesus says, well, what about you? Looks at his closest group of friends. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter musters up the courage and you have to sense that thought that he was probably the Messiah, but they were still figuring it out as well. And Peter says, you're God's Messiah. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. But you can't tell anybody yet because I have work to do still. I, 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 I'm not finished. And so you have to hold on to that information for now because I'm not finished with the path that God has called me to. You see, uh, as we think about this reality, we realize that the crowds, they're going to have their opinions about who God is and about who Jesus is. But Jesus knew his disciples, those closest to him, they must have convictions. It's different than just opinions. You can go out and ask anybody, you know, what's your opinion about God? What's your opinion about Jesus? But Jesus is saying, if you really want to be one of my followers, you can't just have an opinion. You need to have a conviction about the, in the depths of your heart about who I truly am. And Peter gives us the right answer. Jesus is the Messiah. And if you, if you want to know for sure what H2O believes here, we would say it over and over again. And if you've been coming for any amount of time, you'll hear us teaching it every Sunday that we believe to the core of our being that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the only one that can make us right with God. That Jesus, just as he predicted, would have to go through and he would be betrayed and he would find himself on the cross and yet the cross wasn't the end of the story. He rose from the grave and defeated death proving this statement that he made before he even died. And so Jesus does the same thing for each and every one of us that he does for his disciples here. You're, you're not here by accident. You're here for a very specific reason. Every single one of us must account for the most important question that can be asked in life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And it's not just a question of like, who is Jesus to you? Sometimes we kind of use that as like an excuse to, to not really, well, to me, he's a really good guy. To me, no, it's who is Jesus. It doesn't matter who he is to me. The, the reality is who is he? And then we build our lives around the truth of who he truly is. Jesus is the Messiah or he's not the Messiah. And we all have to stand before God and, and say, what are we going to answer that question with? Peter gives us the right answer. He is the Messiah. And as we find that truth, as God reveals it to us, as we open up his word, as we spend time seeking God, as Lauren talked about, as he reveals it to us, then our lives change around the answer to that question. Jesus doesn't conform to us. We conform to Jesus as we realize that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's jump back in because he's going to explain that a little bit. In verse 23, it says this, And then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily 
and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, the second point is this, that following Jesus is both free and costly. Think about that for a minute. Following Jesus is a free gift that God extends to each and every one of us. It's a beautiful thing about the gospel that we talk about here all the time. No matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, no matter what your ethnicity is, Jesus extends the free gift of salvation to every single one of us. It's an amazing, beautiful gift that we have the option to say yes to. And yet, just as Jesus extends that free gift, of his grace and love, as we say yes to it, there is a dying to ourself that must happen. Because we're saying yes to putting Jesus at the center of our lives. And we're revolving our lives around him and who he is. You know, Jesus says this phrase. He says, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me daily. Now, for us, we go, okay, I kind of have a picture of what that means, right? Because for us, the cross has become like a beautiful symbol. We wear it around our neck. We tattoo it on our arms. You know, the cross is something that we probably have hanging somewhere in our houses or apartments. The cross has become a symbol of hope for us. Picture what was going on in this scene. The disciples didn't even know exactly how Jesus was going to die. In fact, this is the first time that Jesus really mentions this concept of the cross. And so their only perception of the cross would have been a horrible instrument of death and pain and shame. And so Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, listen, I want you to know that I am the Messiah. But I want you to know when you say yes to me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me daily. It'd be like us saying, you know, you're going to have to carry around an electric chair day in and day out and use that as a reminder to yourself that you might have to die to your own desires and sin nature deep within you. You know, uh, as we look at our world, and, and there's a lot of different statistics, and this has shaped our world. There's so much information out there. You can jump on social media. You can watch commercials on TV. We are so skeptical of advertising and false advertising in our world, aren't we? You know, we're so skeptical because you, you watch a, a commercial or you're watching YouTube and an ad pops up and everybody wants to make their products sound so great and so life-changing. And yet many of us, we bought those products and we know this didn't change my life much at all. Jesus is certainly not guilty of false advertising here, is he? It's not like Jesus said, hey, you know, say yes to me being the Messiah. Put me at the center of your life and all your troubles are going to go away. Life is going to be easy you're going to frolic around, you know, and, and, and everything will be beautiful and handed to you on a platter. Jesus didn't false advertise. He said, I am the Messiah, and I want you to know that when you follow me, you're going to have to die just like I died. You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to die to your selfish desires. You're going to have to die for your desire for, for comfort. And that is a, a powerful, powerful 
statement. You know, I was thinking about this, this concept of, of following Jesus being both free and costly. And some of us may say, well, isn't that a contradiction? Like, how in the world can following Jesus be both free and costly? And I heard this analogy. All analogies are imperfect, right? But they give us a picture and help us to, to understand God a little bit more. And the analogy was that, that it's certainly possible for things to be both free and costly. They were talking about, imagine yourself really desiring to climb Mount Everest. All right, now I know that's hard for some of us. I hardly want to climb, climb Conneaut Hill. You know, I can't imagine really wanting to climb Mount Everest. But some people do really want to climb Mount Everest, right? But it costs a lot of money. I don't know if you've ever studied this or looked into it. It can be like eighty to $100,000 by the time you fly there, by the time you probably get a helicopter, all the different gear, everything that you need to do. You have to pay for the guides to take you up and back down. But imagine somebody coming to you and saying, hey, listen, I, I've heard about your desire to climb Mount Everest, and I, I want to pay for it all. It's going to be free. For you to climb Mount Everest. I'll take care of the travel. I'll take care of all the supplies. I'll take care of everything. All you got to do is say yes and go make the climb. It would be a free trip monetarily, right? But it certainly wouldn't be free, would it? If you know what goes into it, there's so much training that goes into it. There's so much time that goes into climbing a mountain like that. In fact, there might be other costs. People oftentimes lose their fingers or their toes. Every once in a while, someone will even die as they're climbing Everest. And so the trip would have been free, but it certainly would have been costly as well. And Jesus is saying in a similar way, following me, I offer the free gift of my grace to you. But it's going to cost you everything. It's free and it's costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote an amazing book uh, that's called The Cost of Discipleship. If you don't know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, go just, even just Google it and read a little bit about him because he's an amazing man. He lived in Germany in the 30s and 40s. He was a Christian pastor. He escaped Hitler's reign in Germany, and, and then he felt this conviction of God that he shouldn't just flee. He said, if I, if I don't do anything, then Who's going to do anything? And so he went back into Nazi Germany to try to stop Hitler from doing what he was doing, the Holocaust. And he started trying to find ways to, to fight Hitler because he believed God was calling him to do it. He wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. And, and he says this. He talks about this dichotomy, how grace is both free and costly. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And grace and because it's grace, it calls us to follow Jesus. So it calls us to follow, that costs us something, but it causes us to follow Jesus that is free. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin, and it's grace because it saves the sinner, all of us. And above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son, Jesus. We were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. He's painting this picture that to do the will of God literally costs Jesus his life. And so how can we come and say, I'm going to follow Jesus and it's not going to cost me anything. You see, there's this picture and this dichotomy of following Jesus being free and costly at the same time. You know, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You know, I want to be clear that 
that self-denial doesn't mean self-rejection. Self-denial doesn't mean self-hate. Self-denial doesn't mean self-loathing or turning away from everything that you enjoy. God has given us desires that we can enjoy. It doesn't mean that we have to turn away from everything that we like because if I like it, it must be bad. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Denying self is an important part of discipleship as long as we understand that what Jesus is talking about is denying our sin nature that every single one of us has. Denying the the selfishness that lives in our sin nature within us so we can crucify it over and over again daily. Denying the struggle that we have with sin. Denying the struggle that we have with our, our flesh and our lust and our greed. That's what Jesus is calling us to die to. Why? So that we can live for him. Not so that we think less of ourselves, but that we understand who Jesus truly is and we can live in the freedom and the abundance of life that Jesus has to offer for each and every one of us. To die with Christ means to truly live because we're dying to everything that's harmful and broken. Even if it seems fun or enjoyable at the time, we're dying to it because we're getting abundant life. We're saying goodbye to our old selves so that we can walk in the beauty of following God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to say no to our flesh and to say yes to him. So following Jesus, it is a free gift, and yet it's costly because we deny the flesh that exists within us. Let's look at this final part of the passage. Verse 26. It says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Third and finally is this, living unashamed lives means we live for and we share about Jesus. To live a life that is unashamed means that we live for Jesus And we share about Jesus because we've been transformed by the power of his work because we've answered the question, who is Jesus within our life? If you've truly been transformed by Jesus, then it will overflow out of your heart and out of your life and out of your mouth. This is what Jesus is telling us, that to say yes to him means our life will be radically transformed. And then we can't be ashamed of what Jesus has done for us because he's all we have. How could we be ashamed of the one who's given us new life? How could we be ashamed of the one who's helped us to walk in the freedom that comes from experiencing the gospel? You know, some people have taken this this verse and they've almost like given it the freedom to um, allow them to to be a little obnoxious sometimes. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. And so that means we have to beat people over the head with with the Bible or beat people over the head with with just constantly um, tearing other people down so that we can build Jesus up. And that's certainly not what Jesus is saying here. I was thinking about this uh, in, in social media. I was thinking, I don't know, I just have unique friends on, on Facebook and social media or what, but there's this meme that comes across my timeline every once in a while. You can see it here. It's like, I will bless those who are not ashamed of me. Forward this on to 27 other people or you don't love Jesus. Have you ever seen those before? I certainly don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about here. I certainly don't think that Jesus is just saying, like, you have to be willing to forward on a meme. Now, if you do that, I'm not judging you at all. There could be some great things from that. But Jesus is saying it's much deeper than that. 
It's much deeper than just posting something on social media. It's about your life being transformed. And so, yes, our words will represent Jesus. Jesus will be on the tip of our tongue. Jesus will be uh, overflowing out of our mouths because we love him and we've been changed and we've been transformed with him. But it's, it's much deeper than that. It's living a life that's unashamed of him. It's saying, my life is going to reflect the gospel in every single element. I'm going to base who I am and what I do and how I interact with people around the love and the grace of Jesus. So yes, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to post about Jesus on social media. I'm going to do all of those different things. But even more importantly, I'm going to live a life that reflects the glory of God day in and day out. That's what it means to live unashamed of Jesus. And so I want to loop back around and finish with the question that Jesus asked his disciples and he asked each and every one of us. I don't want to ask the first question that Jesus asked because that's a kind of easy one to answer that he's trying to use to draw us closer to him and get to the deeper question. Not who did the crowd say I am. Not who does the world say I am. That's philosophical. Jesus wants the personal answer. Who do you say he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And I just want to encourage you, if you're here, you've been wrestling with this, you've been wondering, you've been thinking, I want you to know today could be the day that you answer and say, he is the Messiah. He's the one who came to this earth, suffered, was crucified, died, and was raised to new life so that we can live. And you can say yes to him. You can walk in the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. And it might cost you something. It might not always be easy, but it is totally worth it. Because the things that it costs you, which we think are things that are near and dear to us, are the things that probably need to fade away anyway. And what you gain is eternal life, eternal relationship with the God of the universe who created you and I to walk with him. So who do you say Jesus is? If you say he's the Messiah, the Son of God, let's worship him today. Not just with our words, but with our, our lives. With the way that we live and love those around us. And if you're still wrestling, today could be the day to say yes to him. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of our other pastors and say yes to the life that Jesus wants to extend to you. Let's pray.